Hello folks, big news, we now have a Patreon, so for 5, 7 or £10 you can support us and get some audio commentaries, early access to podcast episodes, um, a monthly Q&A and everything in between there. So go over to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback on the Patreon and see what all the fuss is about. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun, it's good, 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 good. Mm. Sounds good. Hello and welcome to Uncle Mo's Family Feedback where we look through the dizzying highs, the terrifying lows and the creamy middles of The Simpsons seasons 1 to 12 through random episode generation. I'm of course your host, Time Cray, and with me is, um, I guess we'll go um, behind the scenes or behind the cinematic universe here, you know, I suppose in an alternate universe folks, we've, um, we've already done this recording and me and James are... <laughs> Sipping my ties on our, you know, independent gardens. But no, um, unfortunately, we're in the universe where we're part of the half that get smoked out by Thanos with a click of his fingers. And, you know, I'm suffering here with a scraped knee from coming off my bike. And James is dealing with um, peeping, creeping birds on his family's picnic in his garden. But we have here James Hewitt, um, co-creator and game designer of Needcat Games. James, it's good to have you on proper. It's lovely to be here for the first time ever. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> we yes. definitely haven't recorded this, and no one definitely forgot to hit record. There we are. It's all fine. Are you keeping those birds at bay? I mean, they're getting closer all the time, but I, I'm going to, you know, I mean, I've got a house, I've got walls, you know, what can they do? Yeah. Uh, now, um, you're, you know, you front Need Cat Games as well, um, with your partner as well. Um, could you tell us a bit of that? Because initially, when we were doing this episode for the first time, you had um, yeah. Robot Fight Club come out and a load of other exciting Absolutely. things come through. So just give us a little walk through. Yeah, sure. So basically, Needy Cat Games, it's a little tiny venture. Me and my partner, Sophie, uh, we make what well, we design board games generally for clients. So companies come to us and say, we've got this. Uh, intellectual property or we've got this range of models or we've got this great idea uh, can you come make us a game and then yeah we help them out with that we make a, uh, um, a, a game we design it to the brief and then they go away manufacture it sell it all that kind of thing um, and it's it's kind of cool it's it's not a thing that a lot of people do specifically doing it for clients it's normally um, people you know designing games and pitching them to publishers so we're in quite a a weird little niche within a niche within a niche uh but it's it's good fun i i used to design games for games workshop uh who make the warhammer oh, stuff brilliant nice um that was like a thing i did for about five years nearly and that's kind of where i cut my teeth on game design and uh then set up needy cat in 2017 just because i really wanted to do something for myself and i'd wanted to do it for a long time and it just felt like the right time to give it a go and so far it's putting food on the table you know <laughs> Um, we had, uh, well, so when, when we last spoke, not that anyone will know this, we, uh, as you say, we were attempting to get, um, our own game out. We had a game on Kickstarter called Robot Fight Club and, um, our timing kind of sucked because oh, we had the Kickstarter on the go as lockdown began and, uh, people were fighting over toilet roll and you know, it was looking really apocalyptic and we just felt so weird, like trying to sell something. Especially something which wasn't going to deliver for like you know six to nine months. It's like where's the world going to be in six to nine months? And uh, so yeah, we pulled it. We'll get it back on you know probably later this year. But in the meantime, we're just working on everything else. Okay. Now I feel like I need to ask the inevitable question: How 
are you treating lockdown how is lockdown treating you i mean it's it's been fine uh to a degree i've i've been working loads i've been we squeezed the needicat office into our spare room uh we're both seeing a lot more of our daughter which is lovely she's out of childcare, um and she's she's at that she's at the age where she's old enough to um you know she can sit and you know play with a coloring book or you know watch tv for a bit and that's okay she's not quite old enough that she can completely entertain herself but it means oh. that we're all kind of keeping more or less sane, which is nice. Uh, but yeah, no, lockdown overall is pretty all right, I think, generally. I miss people, but I think oh, everyone yeah, does. Yeah. <laughs> the episode we're reviewing today is Three Men and a Comic Book from Season 2, Episode 21, directed by Wes Archer, written by Jeff Martin, with the original air date being May the 9th, 1991. And the couch guy being, it's a old traditional one, it's the couch just tipping over backwards, uh, Nice and simple there. Now, James, um, can't really remember all of what you said with like your initial love of the Simpsons, but walk me through everything. Favourite episode, how you got into it, watching it young, whether you watch it Channel 4, Sky, BBC, just yeah, tell sure. me everything. Wow. So I got into the Simpsons probably around... I've actually I've, I've been figuring this out. Since we last spoke, I've got Disney+, Plus, so it's much, much yes. easier to watch the Simpsons. <laughs> Um, so I've kind of been re-watching all the way through. I've just got up to... Uh, I'm just I'm, I'm at season 11 currently, so I'm still within the remit of the podcast, and I'm definitely oh, feeling the quality start to take a little dive. How we kick off this episode is we have Bart and Lisa, you know, in the car there, and Lisa's just begging, you know, oh, hurry up, Mum, you know, if we don't get to the comic book convention, all the good comics are going to be gone. Bart's having a bit of difference, saying, oh, no, they won't. You know, all you care about is, you know, Casper the wimpy ghost, and they get a nice back and forth. They even get onto you know a nice little conspiracy theory. I think um, Casper's the ghost of oh. Richie Rich, but why is that so? What James? I love, it's well, yeah, it's as Lisa put it, is perhaps he realised how hollow the pursuit of money is and took his own life. I love it. It's in like the really wordy, morose Lisa period mm. where she's just this like like French poet levels of you know pretense and 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 over the topness. Um, it's such a wonderful comment to make. I love it. And we even have Marge, um, Marge very much like my mum, looking at my Twitter timeline. Uh, kids, do you want to lighten up a bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's this. I mean, it's, it is interesting. I mean, in these early years, they were still kind of finding the characters, mm. and you know, Marge is by default the absolutely straight-laced authority figure. That's kind of her only real uh, authority and disapproval figure. You know, that, that's all yes. she does in, in these early episodes, really, and. Um, and one, actually, one of the things that also she does in this one is they really bring home how bad her cooking is. Like, everything she talks about oh, making, all the food, yeah. is like imitation this and mm. microwave that. You know, it's my, I think imitation mar- marshmallows and microwave s'mores. And she always, like, makes it clear that, that she's making the really bad version of it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Uh, but yeah, I think I'm, I'm getting ahead of us there. Just uh, I just quite like that the character in this kind of proto-form at this point. But, you know, he's saying, oh, Radio Active Man's the best, you know, he rules, he, you know, he never says something uh, without saying something cool when he beats up a bad guy. And, you know, it's very much, you know, Schwarzenegger, 80s action, you get a few panels, knocks a villain to the sun, he goes, you know, hard enough for you. 
So we have. Oh, the, I love that. Yeah. He he puts that forward as like his example because Lisa Lisa makes the point. Oh, he, he's no more like witty than any other superhero. And Bart says, "No, no, check this out." And that that's the example he gives. And she's like, "Yeah, okay, maybe you've got a point." I love that. That's you know that that's a classic Simpsons joke to me. It's the setup, but not the payoff you're expecting because you expect Lisa to go. Well, obviously that's a really bad one-liner. But no, she's completely sold on the idea that that's a good one. Now, they end up reaching the comic book convention here, you know, at the local centre. Now, I'll ask you, uh, James, as well. Now, I know you're into your games design and you work for Warhammer and such and all sorts of fantasy and fiction. Yeah. Are you a fan of comic books and superheroes? Oh, definitely. I've, I've been into comics for a long time. I've got a, a big bookcase full of um, primarily graphic novels. I'm not really into the single issue so much. I've, I've in more recent years got into a few of them. I just find them harder to. Like, I find they, they they're done too quickly. Um, I remember like one of the first times I picked up a, a single. I think it was a Spider Man or something when I was about 15, and we had a, a local uh, small comic shop, very much Android Dungeon level of comic shop, and uh, I got an issue of spider-man i thought okay i like spider-man i've like i've I've seen you know the cartoon when i was a kid i'm gonna give this a go and it was like 20 pages and it was done and it felt so uh you know it's so so quick and uh so i much prefer the bigger graphic novels um but i've been been into comics for years i've i tend to go more for the not to sound too hipstery i I tend to go for more of the indie like the alternative comic stuff these days okay although alternative comics i think just means anything that hasn't got superheroes in so there's a hell of a lot out there that's really interesting um and i've I've, i mean normally i go still to my local comic shop in nottingham here but uh i've started using since lockdown the comiXology app on uh on my tablet and that's actually really good because a tablet's a decent size you can download a comic doesn't cost very much at all and yeah there's a huge selection of stuff out there now Um, do the comic books and these graphic novels um I'm assuming they scan well if you can have an app of it as well, and the colours still vivid. Yeah, absolutely. And what's generally quite nice because now, I mean, they're all produced digitally anyway. They're um, they literally they upload the print the, the, the print files directly, so it's all completely as, as it should look. And you can even read it on your phone. You've got a system whereby you can zoom into one panel at a time and swipe across, and it goes from panel to panel. Oh, brilliant! yeah because that that was always the thing that got me was like when i was reading trying to read a comic on my phone everything's so tiny but this literally even when you've got comics with quite dynamic panel structure it will zip across in a a really cool way um but yes i've been to a few conventions um in my time i've 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 mainly been to games conventions rather than comic conventions there's a lot of crossover um i went to london comic con a few years ago which was it was fun. Uh, me and Sophie went down with with Games Workshop. They, we had like a big coach party down there. Uh, we also took Sophie's brother, who is a few years older and just spent the entire time being grumpy and didn't want to do anything and oh, was just kind of being dragged along like a grumpy parent. Um, so we ended up just sitting him in a cafe with some beer while we went and, walked <laughs> and looked at all the cool things. And I won't lie. I mean, it was... To bring it back to the episode, the, the comic convention they show is so much like so many small conventions I've been to. Oh, really? It is so spot on. Oh, absolutely. I mean, as is often the case, I mean, the, the writing room at the Simpsons, I think, is quite a nerdy place. And I think they they had clearly been to a few small-town comic book shows and all the little background jokes and, you know, the, um, the fact that they had the... Um, you, you know, it's like the, the lesser-known actors uh, and the... There's one artist who's looking at people. He's judging people's work. Oh, Joel um, Jack Tate. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. That's it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
it's, it's, it's like he's not going to critique it. He'll just look at it and tell you if he likes it. That, that, that's as much as you're going to get from that. Now, um, then we two comic book names I know is Stanley and Jack Kirby, and I'm getting ahead of myself. It's only a minute joke. Is that more of a Jack Kirby then being a sour grump, I think but so. a talented man? Yeah, I, I don't know as much about them specifically, but I know that. Um, that is very much the sort of thing you would see them, you know, turning up to shows and have a big thing. Oh, come and show your art to this person. Um, and I, I very much doubt that many people got jobs that way. Although I suppose it was a good way to get your portfolio in front of someone back in, you know, the days before the internet. So hey, may, maybe it was a thing that worked. But certainly in Springfield, it, it was not happening. <laughs> and within this convention, you know, the kids turn up, and you know, you can get a cheaper uh, entry fee, you know, if you dress up there. We have Bart, you know, very much like Superman changing and he becomes Bartman. Now, I've mentioned this in previous podcasts before. I love it when, you know, series, other shows, cartoons, you know, the characters are out of the normal gear and into something different. Like um, when you play Smash Bros and you get to choose a different sprite. Yeah. I really like um, Bartman here. It's simple, but it works. I'm guessing you're a fan of... Uh, you know, Homer and Amumu and Marge in the Chanel suit and when the Simpsons... Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, it's always nice when you get like... Uh, or like, you know, when uh, Lisa gets her caught... They, they go to uh, Little Pog... What a squam set port and Lisa gets some new friends and she's dressed all like with the backwards baseball cap and the tie-dyed shirt and things. Oh, yeah. It is, really? it, it is one of those things that... Um, it, it just it, it stands out, you know, because you you get so used to seeing that one character model. You know, the, the characters look like this. So when they change out, it's always nice, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. And we go into the main centre there, and we have Diamond Joe Quimby overseeing the event here. Thank you, you know, young people, young citizens of Springfield, and thanks for plugging in $300 into the local economy. <laughs> With one clap, but even gives a little thank you, wave, and a little smug yep, grin. yep. I think they they really establish like just what what like, what they think of this character early on, you know. Because I think, I mean, Quimby's. I'm guessing he's been in previous episodes, but it, it's still very much they're making a point that he is the the huckster mayor. You know, he will t- show up to any event that's happening in order to hopefully get that little bit of the youth vote. Yeah, um, and if not that, a bit of a kickback or a slush fund. Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that it's you know it's, you've pumped almost three hundred dollars into the town's economy, which is yeah, that that feels entirely appropriate. Uh, and even like him getting the name wrong, you know, I I, I always feel like Radiation Man. Oh um, yeah, <laughs> it's Radioactive Man, asshole. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love that Jimbo's there. Like. Why is he at the comic comic convention? What, 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 what's, what's he looking oh, he's for? He's there you know? to pick on people. He's there to judge <laughs> costumes, even though he can yeah. do it himself and just yeah. get some lunch money there. But yeah, um, absolutely schools. I mean, it always reminds me of, um, you know, your Piers Morgans and your Alan Sugar types on Twitter saying something silly or getting, um, you know, uh, swindled and that. Um, yeah. Like a common one is to say, Oh hi, it's you know my granddad's birthday. And he's a big fan of yours. Can you give him a shout out? And it's like um, Harold Shipman or some other ghastly person, <laughs> and they end up. Doing I saw it. that on Twitter today. Actually, I literally yeah. I saw one of those today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so among all the other bits of the convention, there you have Martin trying to get a Vulcan ear back there, and Otto hoping to get his work judge. You know, bus man. Now, what other um, as far as conventions myself, when we ever went to one, it was. MCM Comic Con in uh, May, got a good few years ago. Ended up doing the whole thing with cosplay. Went for the whole Friday to Sunday there. I ended up doing um, 
big wrestling fan. No hiding that. I went to three different wrestlers there. Good um, reaction. A lot of fun in that. But there's obviously... I mean, there's common stereotypes with it now. And unfortunately, I did see the stereotypes and the negatives there as well. I mean, have you seen any sort of... Not ugly stuff, but you know, the... Oh, can I get a hug fella holding the sign or... Oh, yeah. 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 You, you see a, a few people. I mean, one of the things that you see increasingly i mean you know dressing up as we've seen here dressing up has always been a big big thing at comic conventions but the the cosplay um you know movement if you like has, has really taken off in the past decade and uh one thing you definitely see a hell of a lot of is um you know women who have, who have dressed in an outfit which is probably quite revealing that's what the character's like and then the three or four men kind of orbiting around getting a little bit too close a little bit too personal a little too friendly um and when I first kind of saw that happening, I was like, wow, this is really intense. This is mm. like, you you don't interact with people that way. This is not what people should do. And um, yeah, I imagine that must be quite, quite crazy. If if you go in, if you spent, you know, months working on this costume and then the, the majority of the attention you get is from people who are just trying to be kind of creepy about it. That's, that's not a, a, a great experience for the weekend. But um Hey, um, did you have any of that? I, 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 you say you dressed as three wrestlers. I don't know how revealing you went with the costume because you know there's there's a lot of ways you can go with that. Oh, well, wish I, I hoping you didn't no, get too no, much. No, it's uh... fine. You know, I mean, I could wear the spandex as tight as I want, but you know, quite frankly, it was all action, <laughs> man. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've got to ask: was that like one wrestler on each day, or was it just it three? Was one you, you dressed as three wrestlers overall oh, in no, one amazing it was costume. A different wrestler each day. I mean, I wish I had the pageantry and the stitching to um <laughs> you know, to pull that off but then we... from three different angles you're three yes. different wrestlers bang, bang, bang. angles being a pun see i can do this <gasps> yes oh you, you're winning there my heart go. over here okay <laughs> brilliant but then we sort of quote scary thing that happened to me and in the end it turned out to be like quite funny as a lot of these kids just ran up to me going oh my days daniel bryan and they all started doing a little <laughs> yes chant around me and i'd like eight like seven to nine year old kids just doing that and we went oh i'm getting bombarded here but they just all wanted photos but it was just the um yeah it was the approach i didn't cool. expect like that yeah. much sort of <laughs> that level certain. of intensity yeah. i guess i'll just ask briefly as well i'm guessing that doesn't happen at tabletop game design conventions or is it different sort of backhandedness or people trying to do hmm. stuff good question i think generally the, the the demographic is a little bit older at the the games conventions because ah, right. um, i think with comic conventions you're always, always going to get like l- crowds of kids who love uh marvel comics or dc comics that sort of thing uh, whereas games conventions you will tend to get like quite a bunch of like 12 plus year olds around but they're generally a bit calmer it's quite a sedate hobby you know yeah. it involves sitting and, and and rolling dice and painting models and that sort of thing so yeah i've not seen anything quite to that degree the um the weirdest thing I've seen uh, is people like trying to get in for exclusive merchandise. Uh, like if there's oh. something that's a show exclusive, then and they've only got them until they sell out. Uh, I've seen people like running, pushing people out the way. Uh, I oh, worked awesome. on the sales desk at one of these once, and the doors opened, the crowd hit, and the, 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 the all the row of tables we were behind were pushed back about three feet immediately. It was oh, it was geez. like a shield wall being yeah. hit. It was mad. Bart and his friends, they end up seeing, you know, an exclusive screening of, you know, Radioactive Man. They're able to see, you know, Buddy Fallout Boy Hodges, which is good because he never did get killed in Vietnam. <laughs> yeah. 
Ah, these Laramie cigarettes give me the steady nerves I need to combat evil. Gee willikers, radioactive man. Wished I was old enough to smoke Laramie's. Sorry, Fallout Boy. Not until you're 60. Look out! Will Radioactive Man act in time to save the Earth? Yeah! I think that that's a thing that it's like that's been lost now is the sort of the, the urban legend of our actors and things, you know, mm. because now you can just go and check check it out on the internet. But I remember stories of like, um, you know, you never quite know, oh, is is Steve Buscemi actually dead? You know, you you'd hear various stories yeah, going around school right. or something. And um yeah, and and I, th- I think that's lovely. You, you know, oh sorry, sorry, didn't die in Vietnam. And of course, then also there's the whole thing of the mysterious circumstances uh, surrounding the death of my brain's gone, but uh, the oh, actor Dirk who played Richter, yes. Dirk Richter, yes, of course yes. it is, yeah. <laughs> About the the bullet-ridden bordello where his body was found. <laughs> Won't you vultures leave him alone? I love it, yeah, because um, I don't know, I don't know what I was expecting. Obviously, watching with young eyes and that, but obviously, yeah, Fallout Boy, um, you know, it's this young boy and like oh you know what's his adult self going to be like but it's this yeah. um well-to-do now theater actor and he's sort of looking back begrudgingly because he's saying oh you know i don't know how that happened in the comics but you know i was rum tum tugger and cats <laughs> yeah. anybody yeah. see that it's fantastic because i mean and you see that a lot so many people who they're famous for the one like small role they had in some naff TV show back in the sixties or seventies, and now they make their money on the convention circuit, you know, because they will charge money for autographs and photos and whatever else. Um, they're they're do- they're still doing the acting or the thing that they they want to be doing, but then they're going to these shows. I mean, I've I've, I've been I've I've seen like guest speakers who are like, uh, this person played Klingon three on an episode of Star Trek, and. You know they're so small time. I mean, even here, of course. I mean, you've got the guy who was who was was Fallout Boy, so he's kind of kind of a big deal. Mm. But he clearly wants to leave that behind, and the kids are just yeah. not letting him do it. And no one cares. No one in the room gives a single damn about what he wants. They just want to hear about Fallout Boy. And I want to speak about um, the actual radioactive man scene they play because this has to be a reference to. Have you ever seen um, the Flintstones Winston cigarette ad? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Gee, we ought to do something, Fred. Okay. How's about taking a nap? I, I got a better idea. Let's take a Winston break. That's it. Yeah, Barney, Winston tastes good. Like a cigarette chug. It's um, it's so weird to look at it now, but that's absolutely what it's riffing on completely. The one that they always show on those... Um, I mean, I'm quite guilty for watching, you know, the compilations like... Oh, you know, look what happened in the 60s. Oh, what were they yeah, like? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, those kind of uh, fan footage shows. They always show um, one particular ad of Winston's, and it is it is like the most sexist ad as well, because like, hey, bro, <laughs> hey, Fred, uh, why don't we just leave the women to do the work? Oh, let's take a break. <laughs> no, let's take a fag break. And they just whip out the they whip out the Bensons <laughs> and Hedges and that, yeah, and whilst yeah. um, Wilma's busy, you know, with the buzzard cutting the grass. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. It's so weird. Like, yeah, exactly. It's like a different world, isn't it? Mm. It's it's so unusual. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know what? I, I actually, that whole thing as well. I think I mentioned this last time we spoke. What I what I think is really interesting is that the the guy who presents the talk, yes, um, is he's 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 a nobody. He's a he's a random character that's been made up for this part, mm. and that would never happen these days. No, you know, it'd be it wouldn't be. Wouldn't it? Yeah, it's always an established character. Whereas, like here, and then later at like Krusty Burger, there's like a random, shifty-looking guy behind the um, 
behind the counter, yeah, you know. I'm wondering if that was like a writer's friend or something because he's too detailed. You're right. He yeah, exactly. He looks like an actual person. I want it's got to be yeah, completely. That's someone who's who's put snuck someone into the show uh for whatever reason. But yeah, it's interesting that there's this character who's just like um he has only has he's got a, a several several lines it's a speaking role but it's a completely random character and it's you saw a few of those in the early days but you don't really see him anymore <laughs> well wasn't that great you know kids i'm sure we'd all like to remember actor dirk richter for his portrayal of radioactive man and not the sordid details of his final years so let's keep the questions tasteful okay now how about a big welcome for buddy fallout boy hodges <laughs> Any questions? When Radioactive Man got injected with shrinking serum in issue 234, how come his costume shrinks too? I am sure I don't know. But I did just finish playing Rum Tum Tugger in the Second National Touring Company of Cats. Anybody see it? Oh, 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 over here. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, me, 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 me. Yes, you, the masked boy. Do you think the ghost of Dirk Richter haunts the bordello where his bullet-riddled body was found? Dirk Richter was a beautiful man. Can't you little vultures leave him alone? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I used to watch um, 60s Batman like when I finished college because yeah. I just thought, like, oh, wow, this is mental. But, it, I mean, it's genuinely funny, and I think a lot of it was played yeah. purposefully for laughs, but I can see a lot of that in here with, um, you know, Fallout Boy. Oh, I'd like to be like you. No, sorry, only till you're 16. And a little cheeky wink. Buy these <laughs> yeah. fags, kids. And then the world yeah. blows up as well. Like, how are they going <laughs> to... Tune in next week. How are they truly going to save the world? Can they save the world in time? Like, as the world's just detonated? It's like, I I love that. (laughs) Have you um, ever dealt with any awkward questions or, you know, uh, query panels like this? Because from what I've heard on different podcasts and through um, other people that go to conventions, like, um, it can be on a knife edge, the Q&A afterwards. Like, it can be amazing and you find out bits of production, or it can be a death knell and you get. And again, I, I, I don't judge people. You get um, really overly passionate fans uh, yes. asking about, oh, if you know Superman and the Flash were in a fight, who would win? I mean, what <laughs> yeah. knife edge is... Have you, I mean, have you oh, experienced this as well? Absolutely. I mean, I think that any situation where you're throwing open the forum, you know, you're letting the public uh, ask their questions, you're going to get a real grab bag. Um, so again, when I used to do stuff at games workshop we one of the worst panels i ever did uh, there were two of us up there and we had a room of about 100 people probably and this was a point where games workshop was um very secretive about future releases so we didn't oh. say anything about what was coming up we weren't allowed to say a word about it um and so i'd have to do like a presentation on something i'd i'd figured out something that was like oh kind of talking about the design process or how we do things and then uh, I had this Q&A and people were asking questions and like pretty much every other question was, so when is this thing coming out? When is that thing coming out? What can you tell us about this thing? And every single time the answer had to be, I'm really sorry, I can't say that. I'm really sorry, I can't say that. And so- it was just increasingly excruciating because people were clearly aware that I couldn't say anything, yeah. but they were protesting but that they fact. they didn't catch but- on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Either it was intentional or not, whichever way. But it was it was just getting more and more uncomfortable. And then I sort of left, and the group that came in after us were from a different part of the company, which, which was much more open with everything they talk about. And like they were just greeted with rounds of applause, like "Yeah, they're going to tell us things." And it was it was really like yeah, it was an unpleasant room to be in. Oh, <laughs> oh we were in there, but uh, that's all part of the job. Well, after the breakdown of 
Buddy Rogers there. <laughs> we have Bart and you know his friends looking through all the old classics. You know the, you know when Brady Wachtman married Lava Girl and that, and you know the issue where Fallout Boy became his ward. But they end up seeing yeah. you know their own you know, action comics number one with Superman lifting that Chevy. Yep. There they have Radioactive Man number one. Now, do you have a, your own um, sort of prized possession? Your last night I felt like I held you in my arms. Um, your own Ooh. action comics. Good question. I've got quite a few things that are like quite you know games related. Um, so one of the board games that uh, got a lot of people into like. Uh, fantasy gaming, like D and D type stuff, back in the eighties was Hero Quest, which okay. was like a. If you ever get, if you ever want to see something cool, Google the uh, Hero Quest UK TV advert. There was an American version as well, which was overdubbed in, in, in with an American accent, but the British one was the best because it's just it's talking about this fantastical world of adventure and fireballs and things and it was it was just this really cool board game and i had it when i was like four or five years old and i i've still got it it's in the loft it's mostly intact and it's still got all like my notes from when i was playing it as a kid and uh yeah it's it's kind of cool a lot of people um you know have you know, you see people on the search for it, looking for it. And it's not quite as worth worth as much, I think, as like you know the action comics number one. But it certainly it goes for a couple of hundred pounds. Wow! But it's mine. I'm keeping it. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is my action comics number one? Um, I think I've got a few that's still out there, but one I can lay claim to is again not hiding my wrestling fandom. Yeah. There, there was one. WrestleMania, so for the uninformed, WrestleMania is the biggest show of the whole year, and the one that is always critically acclaimed is WrestleMania 17 in 2001. There, coming up to 20th anniversary or so, and the jerseys from there is just absolutely perfect. And you know, a couple of the people that didn't get onto the show that wore the jerseys in the crowd, uh-huh. so beloved in that. So I had to look for this jersey online, and I managed to find. An exact one from that time period that was worn in the stadium that fan ended up Oh, selling. amazing. Yes. Um, Would that have been like Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, that sort of era? Around they then? Men, or they main evented, so yes, that was absolutely There you go. Yes. Yeah. Because I was, I was quite heavily into wrestling around the same time I was into The Simpsons. So like uh, late 80s, early 90s. Weirdly, my nan got me into wrestling. She was a big British wrestling fan. Oh, and the old haystacks and Big Daddy. Yeah, 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 Big Daddy, all that. So we used to watch uh, WF as it was, which later became WWF and then WWE. Mm. Uh, we used to watch that uh, back in the days, like The Ultimate Warrior, Randy Savage, oh, uh, yes. Hulk Hogan. Um, so, and then I, I've, I've kept like one eye vaguely on wrestling. I've lost it in the last ten years or so, but mm. but yeah, that, certainly. I, I always kind of wanted to go to a WrestleMania. I thought that'd be a really fun day out. Well, I ended up buying it for fifty pounds, and I believe now they'll. I mean, with a few extra years' time, maybe looking at 200 to 300. Yeah. So I thought oh, I had to snap that up there. But I mean, I always look out for these old, um, sort of not so popular Stone Cold shirts because they've got yeah. really cool print on them, but they weren't mass produced. So I'm always, on, I'm always on the hunt there. I'm always on the hunt for my other action comics, uh, so to speak. Kids are, you know, they've been picked up now and they're coming back from the convention there and, you know, Lisa's managed to swag out. She's got a dozen Lois Lanes for about a buck and that. And yeah. um, my God, if, if Homer isn't my dad here, you know, 
oh, you know, I don't get why you get these comic books. Oh, but Wonder Woman, you know. Yeah. Uh, Linda Blair. He's just the worst, isn't he? Yeah. (laughs) With Marge sitting right there, and he's just completely, you know off on one again he's such a dreadful parent in this but this i think we mentioned this briefly last time is this is the point where bart was the main character of the show without a doubt you know um and so homer and marge are very much seen through that lens Mm. you know marge is just the one who says no and homer's the one who's just grumpy and let's face it horribly abusive the entire time um these um, there's that whole thing like where they're, they're sitting in Krusty Burger, you know, and Bart said that he he wants a hundred dollars for a comic, and uh, you know Homer's like, no, you can't have it, and he flips the whole thing. He's like, are you going to stop bugging me? Are you? Are you? Are you? Ah, I win in your face, which is just such bad parenting, you know. Oh, that is yeah. classical, and it's like it's malicious bad parenting. I think later Homer in later seasons is like neglectful bad parenting mm-hmm. like he just doesn't think about it whereas here it's just literally malicious getting in Bart's face well my favourite bit of that is you know Marge intervenes oh, don't gloat Homer and he's about to pull a big face with a tongue <laughs> yeah, absolutely <laughs> he's just another child basically and then of course Marge goes on about Bart getting a job yeah you, you know you should earn some pocket money there and we get a flashback and um believe a mutual friend there, Sash Steele, big fan of Marge, but a bigger fan of, you know, young Marge when she's cute and got different yeah. hairstyles. What do you think of young Marge here with the you know, the old flathead, the old flat hair there? What I think is interesting is first and foremost, this is this isn't like happening in the sixties clearly, you know, looking mm. at the um the music that's being played, the way they're dressed and that, this is nineteen sixties. I I find it endlessly fascinating the way The Simpsons has retold the origin stories of the characters so many times, you know. Yeah. I think uh there was at least one episode where Marge uh, where Homer was in a grunge band in the nineties. Uh yeah, sadgasm, of course. There you go. Yeah. And there's like all these ones that have shown the various young versions of Homer and Marge at different periods of time but this yeah this is this to me this makes sense this is marge as a kid in the 60s and yeah she's she's like this adorable young you know full of life all she wants is a a light bulb oven to to bake cakes Mm. in um and her dreadful sisters are just gonna wring every ounce of you know sweat and toil out of her that they can well they've got normal you know 16 year old girl voices there but I guess what maybe not even a week full of the twenty <laughs> yeah. a day they sound like my late Auntie Barbara, you know. Yes, <laughs> that's it. Um, although interestingly, Marge has her voice the entire way through, implying that there's something more to it than just secondhand smoke. Oh yeah. Oh, don't yeah. make me think of that, James. <laughs> <laughs> I've ruined it for you. I completely. I did not even realise that. Yeah. Damn it. Because I, I, th- I think. Um, uh, Patty and Selma are, are voiced. I would guess it, it sounds it, they, they sound like um, Sherry and Terry. It's it's got to be the same actress doing it, it, their. It is um, Julie Cabner doing the same voice. Yep. Yeah, there you go then. Yeah, but um, yeah, it's, it's lovely getting those little windows back into like the characters' past. You know. Yeah. Oh, what was it that, that they make her wash um, dress shields? Oh, dress shields I, yes. I had to I had to look them up, and they're basically to protect your dress from from armpit stains. So, oh. so she, 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 they are making her hand wash their sweat-stained <laughs> armpit covers, which is just unpleasant, you know. Oh dear! Oh, then of course we get the amazing, um, like Wonder Years parody yes. where it's there's the, the voiceover with Fred Bart. Savage. Where the, 
Yeah, yeah, the camera sort of pans away. It's like, you know, he didn't say it, neither did I, but at that moment, my dad and I have never been closer or something. Mm. And Homer cuts him off. He goes, Bart, stop it! We're on to the second act now, and Bart, you know, he's looking for any kind of bit of change, any sort of nickel he can get, because he will have that comic book, folks. And you know, he's looking under yep. the sofa there, he's emptying full, you know, bottle of Buzz Cola there, you know, looking for the dime for that. He's just trying anything now, coming up to him, you know, selling lemonade but you know he's, he's not having he's not having that much success with it do you know this is where we get the first ha ha from nelson james oh really yes because in episodes before yeah he, he only got featured in say like two or three before this in both seasons uh the other yeah. one he used was ha 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 um when marge and homer get reconciled the marriage and it's about them catching yeah. the big fish and grandpa looks after them um, but no, this is the traditional sense of ha ha. This is the first ever one. As he drives, did he not by do that Bart. in Bart the General? Was that not in there at all? No, it no. Wasn't. Surprisingly, it, it wasn't. It was just it's a very Nelson centric episode, but it didn't have. Yeah, he's just much more like uh, actual scary bully rather yes, than right. you know cartoon character. Now, um, you know Bart's been industrious here. He switches his product up, ends up giving them nickel beer. Now, did you? Yeah. Um, we talked about your own action comics, if you will. Did you have like an little industrious side when you were a lot younger? Like, okay, this new GTA game is £30 on PS2, <laughs> so I'm going to mow lawns, I'm going to help gran and granddad, I'm going to do whatever. Yeah, definitely. I, I did various bits and pieces. I had like a, a big um, jar. I'm getting the size of it. It must be like a pickle jar or something. And I'd, I'd cut a little slot in the top and I had... Um, Nintendo fund on the side, which I'd written oh, in nice. in permanent marker, and I'd um, it's because I basically I'd uh, I really wanted a SNES, a Super Nintendo, and that was that was my big thing. I really wanted and it was like sixty pounds or something, which was just an unfathomable quantity of money for someone at that point. You know, I was like maybe ten years old, and um, so I started saving. I was doing anything I could. I did a couple of like car boot sales and sold a load, load of old stuff. Um, and this this to me was a big thing because uh, uh, up to that point I'd been very much a Sega person, and back oh, then okay. it was quite quite tribal. You were either Sega or you were Nintendo. Uh, but a friend of mine had a SNES, and I played in it. I was like, I really want this, <laughs> so I saved up, and um, yeah, eventually got it. And then I repurposed the jar a couple of years later to be the PlayStation fund when the PlayStation came out. Ah, lovely. And I I never got enough because that was so expensive, but. Um, I did end up getting a, a, like, I, I put money towards it and then got the rest as a birthday present to get the year the, the PS1 when it first came out and that now, was that was such a jump now My with God. the SNES um, yeah. did it have a game that came with it what was your first game oh, so, yeah it was uh, Super Mario World that was that was oh, the the onboard which was amazing I've, I've played it again in recent years it was great I had the um, uh, the I forget whichever one it was that came with the the bazooka gun kind of thing that you oh. had on your shoulder which i forget which game it was that 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 worked with but i certainly had that we used to actually have a thing which feels so weird now but we used to have a guy who would come around like, like a like a, a game rental service this oh. guy would turn up in a little little white van and you open the back up and you could rent a game for a week oh so it was and... like uh not mobile. It's like a video like, rental. Like a mobile sort of. video rental. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Nice. And um, and it's that. So I, I was first doing that with the SNES, and then went through the PlayStation. I the only reason it stopped was because 
I like moved away from home, and then I was I was taking long term loans. I was b- borrowing a game, bringing it up to university with me, and like you know playing it for a few weeks, take, taking it back. And he was fine with that because we'd had him for like you know ten years. Mm. And um, I, yeah, I, I'm guessing it it must have stopped eventually, but certainly it was still going strong when when, when I stopped using it. But it was a really cool service because it meant I, I got to play loads of games that I would otherwise not have been able to been, been able to afford. And a lot of games, you know, you're not going to get necessarily 50 pounds worth of play out of them so it's quite nice right. to just give them you know three quid a week as it used to be and you know play street fighter for a week that was kind of cool yeah um, i'm not gonna lie i had sort of a sort of detail in my head that you sort of went bankrupt and had to um sort of you know start selling pornographic films in the back like that <laughs> Peter K thing and the ice cream man <laughs> yeah I, i'm not denying anything uh. <laughs> We have Barton, oh, you know, he's flogging the beer, nickel beer there, cheap beer, sympathetic here, and we even have Barney coming up, even trying his old spiel, oh, can I put it on the slate? No, get lost. Like, the same treatment <laughs> at Moe's that Bart's going to give him here, and he just yep. walks away, and whilst we have uh, Eddie and Lou, um, and I keep having to, you know, tell myself this, they're on duty when they accept this yeah. bribe. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, um, I, I they are just the perpetual bad cops, you know, uh, as the song goes. They, they, they're on duty. They're accepting beer. They're just, they're just looking the other way quite happily. Because initially, it's like they say, "Hey, are you selling uh, liquor without a license or something?" And uh, yeah, he just completely buys them off. It, it, it's not not even any hesitation. Oh. And of course, then Homer turns up, and uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> We find out where Bart got the beer from. And Marge's even trying to help Bart out. You know, she's telling the gals and, you know, the unisex hairdresser saying, oh, the boy's so desperate. You know, all he wants is a comic book. And we have our main guest of the episode, folks, uh, Cloris Leachman in the first appearance of um, Mrs. Glick there. And before we get on to Mrs. Glick and into my whole favourite entire (laughs) scene uh, in this, are you aware of the actress Cloris Leachman? I've... I know the name, but I couldn't tell you what she's been in. Well, turns out she's some sort of a Hollywood heavyweight. You're talking about um, an eight-decade-plus career in acting. Yeah. You name it. Emmys, even won an Academy Award, Last Picture Show. Um, She was in Mary Tyler Moore, did stuff, um, had her own spin-off there. She was the granny in the Beverly Hillbillies. Wow, okay, so she, she was a big name then. Yeah, just incredible um worked well into her you know her 80s and that and you know she was in uh, american gods well, oh really yes um zoira vecinea i've swatted the name but yes her. oh yeah okay yep i think i know, know who that'd be right. interesting yes right. she, I'm, sure so she'll she was... be I'm sure she'll be ancient in it but yeah she's just never stopped working and is just constant yeah. professional from uh what i've researched as well well, I think what's interesting is the Simpsons are starting to get like good guest stars around here because I think we had uh, Dustin Hoffman was he season two with Mister Mister Bergstrom? Bergstrom? Yep. Uh, of course, Michael Jackson goes without saying. Yep. You uh, had various like big names suddenly appearing on the show. Harvey Firestein as Carl. Yep, yep. Oh, yeah, yep. A classic performance that one. Mm. <laughs> that ridiculous voice. I mean, my God. That's uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, so Cloris Leachman and then, then I mean Mrs. Glick is just such such a character the poor boy is so desperate 
He wants to earn money to buy a comic book. A comic book? Oh, my. Boys never change. Which one is it, Nazi Smasher? I don't think so. Send him over to my house. I got a few chores he could do. He knows how to mix whitewash, don't he? I mean, I, it's just the voice that does it for me. I mean, even when you see her first, you know, Oh, boys never change. What was it, Nazi Smasher? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All she knows is, like, um, you know, that lovely propaganda. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like, you know, she's just this... This horrible old lady that the, the, everything about it, the, you can almost smell her house, you know, when Bart has to go around there Ooh, yeah, to do can. chores. It's like the that, um, you know, mothballs and perfume kind of smell of old lady uh, houses. She's got a, a black and white TV where she's watching, uh, you know, gratuitous daytime soaps. Um, there's what's the line she says? Something like, um, filthy but genuinely arousing. Yeah, <laughs> that's know? it. Which is, yeah. It's it's oh my god and yeah Bart ends up um, working in her backyard and pulling weeds and just he works hard you know he works this this is Bart this is him doing like this is him as the protagonist of the show he's the main character and he's not trying to grift his way he is legitimately you know working hard here and he gets in a right state and of course then the the iodine comes out I'd never heard of iodine when I first watched this. this is how I found out that this was a thing. Apparently, I, I I don't know if it was everything in this country in a big way, but I certainly know in America it was like a it was the go to for cuts and scrapes. And oh yeah, I was always terrified. From what I well, I mean, from what it looks like, I've not done research on it, but it just seems like um, bleach. And I've only seen it in the only other media I've seen iodine getting used is um the oh, was it the Walking Dead Telltale games. Oh right, where, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't think of the young girl protagonist in it, but in season two, uh, Clem. That's it, Clem. Yeah. Um, she has to use iodine on a cut and stitch it up herself in a shed. And there it's, you go. Oh, it's really grim, but yeah, it's exactly <laughs> like this. Yeah, I've um, yeah, no, it's just this horrible sort of caustic, burny, nasty stuff. I mean, I yeah, who wants that, frankly? But it's such like an old lady sort of thing to have around the house. Oh, you know, this what, is what, what, what they used in the pops and ribbon candy as well. Yeah, that's it. And is it this episode where she offers him like a like a, a sweet from the bowl of bowl of candy, and they're all stuck together? Yeah, that's it. That, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's unpleasant. Oh, and just briefly, um, she had a brother as well, Ada, and Bart asked about, but he held a grenade for too long, and we get a great yeah. flashback, don't we, James? Oh, it's fantastic. Where he, he's listing like all all the. Uh, is it all the people? This one's for Johnny and so and so. And who's that? Oh, that's my brother Asa. He was killed in the Great War. Held a grenade too long. This one's for you, Kaiser Bill. Special delivery from Uncle Sam and all the boys in D Company. Yeah, Johnny, Harrison, Brooklyn Bob, and Reggie. Yeah, even Reggie. He ain't so stuck up once you get to. But I mean, continues working for you know. He's not getting paid just yet but at least he's hurting so that must be worth something and you feel he's getting closer and closer and then i'm assuming that he's doing this like every saturday and sunday so i'm guessing this has gone on for at least a month so he goes um he's looking forward to this payday as mrs glick says and how much for all this hard work james 
It's not a lot, is it? Is it? Is it? Is it a quarter or is it a nickel? It's some. It's some it's two insultingly quarters. small. That's it. Yes. Yeah. Not even a dollar. Like a you know fifty cents. It's it's Glick, just bless what on earth. as clueless as ever, saying, you know, you're very welcome, and you know, my and she even <laughs> tries to flog him to a maze. I've yeah. got girlfriends, and they have chores too. Yeah, and it's. And he holds it together remarkably well. Yeah, he <laughs> considering. Does. Yeah, it's um, again. I think it's it's interesting because it, it paints Bart in a really positive light. Really, this episode, I think you know he's he is shown to be um, quite naive and hopeful, and you really do feel for him when when he's done all this hard work and then gets nothing oh, yeah. basically in, in in return. Now, do you um, have a? You know, out of touch. Oh, spend it on penny whistles and moon pies. Did, <laughs> have you ever had a moment like that? Because I'll just say briefly, I remember talking with a young colleague at work, obviously pre-lockdown at that. And we made, you know, yeah. the joke that you see a lot online of saying like, oh yeah, um, I'd say, you know, it's as cheap as a Freddo, but even then they're effing expensive. <laughs> and, you know, they said, what's a Freddo? And a, a little bit of me died. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> absolutely i've i've definitely felt both sides of that like i've had um i had a a person working for me who was 19 and he didn't know he he came in he was very excited because he told me that he just figured out that the save icon on computers used to be an actual thing a bit like 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 a like a how did he put it like a usb stick but in the old days I was like, oh, it's a floppy disk. What are you doing? Oh, I feel so old. Like I felt myself withering, like the end of Indiana Jones, you know. Um, but yeah, also, but I remember like growing up and having, you know, uh, grandparents be so out of touch and just uh, thinking like, oh, come, you know, surely you can just stay in touch with this stuff. Surely you can, <laughs> you know, oh, that all the old stuff's from the old days. Yeah. It, you know, start today. So I've I've, I've lived to, to see both sides of the spectrum now, which is just upsetting, really. <laughs> Bart's, you know, given out to Homer saying, you know, I worked out with an old hag and all I got was 50 cents and oh, bless Homer, you know, he's trying to do the typical sitcom thing. You know, that was a lot with uh, 50 cents for a lot back in my day, was it? Nah. <laughs> 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 Just the harsh reality. Yeah. Now, I'm guessing, um, I'm guessing you've had, you know, the realisation, oh, you know, works for suckers or could you give me any sort of, you know, crap job stories or any sort of can you give me any details of what yeah, was the first the, crap job the first job i had uh, i worked in a box factory um <laughs> Get out which, of town. which that, that's serious? a whole different episode yeah absolutely wow. yeah yeah um they, they they didn't make nails there they they just made the boxes the nails were shipped in um <laughs> it was you know it was it was proper like i was on an assembly line my job was to um you know, fold and stick and do things, whatever else. At one point, I remember we were, we were making display units for Inspector Gadget on DVD when it just when the film had just come out, and oh, there was my. this like, you know, the, the cardboard stands that go in the centre of a shop. Probably don't anymore, yeah, but like yeah. with a bunch of DVDs in, and um, and it had this like cog things. There were like three cogs that were all interlinked so that they would move and it was it was kind of a cool thing but my job was to take this this stack and it was like a pallet so yeah. you're looking at a, um about four feet square about eight feet high stacked with cardboard um individual sheets and i take off like five or six at a time pop all of these like pre-cut cogs out of there and then peel off 
like backing tape where they that it was a double sided tape mm. and stick them together and I had to make sure they were nicely aligned I had to make sure all this and and I did that for like three days running and that was just mind bendingly dull um I used to take a like um li- literally a walkman in and listen to tapes because uh, yeah. dear god I'm showing my age but um I remember one time I tried taking in like uh a, a stand up comedy show that I had on tape and I it didn't work because everyone kept looking at me weird for laughing <laughs> you know because obviously I'm just sitting <laughs> there making boxes and laughing to myself uh, eventually I got moved on to um a different thing where I was having to use like this industrial hot glue gun to stick packaging and I accidentally burnt burnt the arm of the old lady who sat next to me and I was taken oh, off no. of that thing and yeah it was really really uh un- yeah thankfully um well I say thankfully not for not for anyone else I'd got the job because it was um one of my parents friends uh were they were the people that ran the factory and so ah, the, right. it was a work experience job. They were like, oh, yeah, we can give them a job. And so I think if if that hadn't been the case, I probably would have been, would have been fired on the spot. But uh, I had, you know, I, I had nepotism on my side, basically. Bart's kept on checking in on the Android's dungeon there. You know, you get to see Radioactive Man number one in the front of the window. But all of a sudden, you know, he goes to blow on the glass and wipe. And it's gone there. We think Martin's going to get it. But comic book guy, you know, 40 bucks. Oh, you maybe got off my stool for that. And Martin's yeah. just absolutely pleading his case you know he so he sold seeds he helped out with the nursing home i love the little dramatic turn and the little detail in the animation of fish the diamond out of the sewer for god's sake and <laughs> yeah. his little aggressive face it's martin going like pretty pretty full-on like more than he generally does mm. um i do love the way the fact that it, the shop is called the android dungeon and baseball card shop like it's not just oh, yeah. the Android Dungeon's name of the shop. It implies that it actually is an actual Android Dungeon, which I've always thought was quite <laughs> funny. And even I like the bit where he's, you know, oh, fish dime out of the sewer, and he goes, "No, bluntly." And he goes, "What do you want? Can I have it for 30? No, freaking kids! Yeah. <laughs> like I've definitely yeah. done that before with a friend. Um, I think it was either a game or something, or maybe an old phone. Like you said, yeah. Oh, there's some. Oh, it's all on Facebook Marketplace. You know, he wants my iPhone." six or whatever for 200 all oh, right I'll, if i give you cash can i have 150 no piss off yeah, <laughs> yeah just, you, you just got you just got to try i respect that about yeah yeah completely it's um and it's i mean it is i think this is the first time we see the comic shop in in this show yeah um, in full detail and insight yeah and it's it is so well done because again it, it just feels like any uh, small town nerd shop and I've I've, I mean every time I go to a new place I find the one of these there will, there will always be one hidden away somewhere and I love them Just like the, the crotchety owner who generally uh, is you know demeaning to all of his customers and uh, you know the racks of uh, figurines on display that are just covered in dust they've been there forever they're, they're probably technically for sale but no one's ever going to buy them you know and yeah that whole attitude of um just general condescension towards everyone that comes in. It gets it so spot on. Now, did you ever know a comic book guy or um, you know, a particular instant in you know a certain comic book store? Like, is Forbidden Planet bad for this, or is it always the independent ones that you know are the true gatekeepers I think it's, of all knowledge? Yeah, the bigger chains tend to be a bit more on top of things because there's someone you can complain to if if they're not like it. Ah, yes. But um, yeah, the smaller shops, my God. Actually, I used to work around the corner from a, a comic shop and the guy who was in there, 
because I, I wasn't like regular comic people. I wouldn't come in every couple of weeks and buy a huge stack of stuff. So he hated me. Uh, he he would he would glower at me, and I never got like a nice word out of him. And then one day I went in with my coworker, who it turned out was one of his best customers, um, uh-huh. who literally would buy anything and we went in and immediately it was like it was like a different person behind the till it was it was such a switch up it was suddenly um oh hi how are you how have you been and from that point onwards he was really nice to me and it was really strange um this was the point where where this friend of mine this co-worker he um he hit some financial problems because obviously he was spending all his money on comics and he uh put his order on hold and the shop closed three months later. <laughs> so I think so he, he was, was the only thing. Keeping it afloat. He was, yeah, wow. he was the only only person keeping it going, which tells you. I mean, if if everyone else got treated like like the way I did, you can see why it closed. Oh, they could have gave him a share at least. I can't believe. Yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, at that point, if he's supporting your business, let him know that, and then uh, you know, treat him accordingly. But you know, I mean, Mia House isn't there. He's about to get you know the Strempsy baseball card, one with the sideburns. But, you know, Bart, he's got a plan. Why don't we all pull our money together and get this mm. legendary comic book? And they end up doing that. You know, they've got the foresight to do that, and they're outside, and they're literally breathing it in there. You know, Milhouse even says it smells like his grandpa, and they can't get <laughs> enough of it there. It's Yeah, it's really charming, this scene, as it goes into the third act break with the very much, uh, you know, the... I was going to say the scary door, but the thing that's... <laughs> The scary door is based on the Twilight Zone. Very Twilight Zone end as well. Yeah, definitely. Uh-oh. Looks like rain. We better get this baby home. Uh-oh. Looks like you bought more than you bargained for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's And it's very much that Twilight Zone sort of idea of... Uh, you've got what you asked for. You just didn't realise that you that, that what you wanted was gonna you know be your doom. Yeah. Um. And yeah, they absolutely. Um. That's the moment they all try to go home at the same time, <laughs> and all pull the comic in a different way. And it's like, oh no, this is, yeah, this is gonna go somewhere dark. Um. Especially that that wonderful um like backlit shot of comic book book, book guy. Uh. You know, shot from below, looking maniacal as he's laughing at them. And then oh, yeah, closes very, the door. Um, Tails from the, the crypt. He's got his evil face on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it leads into what is just a fantastic third act. Yeah, well, um, tell us about how we open this final act there with the, you know, the panel for panel so, of uh, Radioactive Man. Yeah, absolutely. What What's great is we get to see the 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 amazing writing in this first episode, and it is so very true to. Uh, golden age comics you get it read out you know oh no my pants caught on barbed wire and um the 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 amazing origin of radioactive man is that he was hit by a nuclear bomb basically but didn't die he got he got powers instead and uh it's great because they're all up up in bart's tree house they're so carefully turning the pages they're sterilizing tweezers in a a candle flame it's 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 fantastic, isn't it? It's like that sort of such delicate care and attention. And I've known people like this, like the the guy I was telling you about, the comic book collector. I mean, he used to have a pair of white gloves that he would use to handle oh, his like going more through, valuable comics, um, like old texts, like the Magna Carta. It, 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 it he that was the way he was treating it. You would assume that's what was happening. He then had a messy breakup, and and they all got thrown away, and it was very un, 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 unpleasant for everyone involved. But um, but yeah, absolutely, he was like. 
it's that same sort of thing, that reverence for this this old comic, and they they genuinely enjoy it. You know, they they they're, they're genuinely quite happy to have um, to have shared this, and then it all starts going a bit wrong. Yes, it does. Now, before I plug on with the story here, I'm just intrigued. When uh, I mean, say you reread your golden era of comics, or you know your very early '60s stuff. Um, do you get a chuckle out of how you know on the nose the writing is and describing oh, absolutely. You know, on barbed wire, or do you just think, no, it's good for its time and it still holds up? <laughs> I, I think it's writing. so clunky. I mean, the thing is, it was it was such a sort of a new medium. You know, I mean, I'll say new. There's there's elements of comic books that have gone back a long way, but overall, the um, uh, you know this style of you know speech bubbles and that. People still weren't quite sure how to tell a story, I think, um, oh. with that. But and, and so that's why it was so on the nose. It was so, as you say, so so blatant. But I, and I think if you can get, there are still good comics that have that sort of style. You know, there are still ones which tell a good story. But certainly, the, the vast majority are they're pretty hokey. <laughs> you know, it's that level of you know I'm becoming radioactive. <laughs> The sort of thing that no one in that situation would actually take the time to say. <laughs> and he, he names himself, you know, from this day forward, yes. I will be Radioactive Man. Are you aware of an old DC comic, I believe it was a Batman one, and you know, he's obviously going back and forth with jo- the Joker, and yeah. for a good portion of it, um, they keep mentioning boners, as in, <laughs> oh, you know, you pulled a right boner there, you know, you idiot. It's it's one of those fantastic moments where language change has led to something truly beautiful. <laughs> he'll 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 never see a boner as good as mine, you know, and all that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that and the uh, the other one that I keep seeing is the uh, there was a DC like a visual dictionary, which right. I, I don't know if you've seen this. It, it went on the internet quite a bit a few years ago, where they had like. Um, Oh, was it? No, it wasn't a dictionary. What was it? It was. It was a thing where they have various DC characters, uh, you know, portraying the meaning of different words. It's like Lex Luthor has sixty-seven pies. That's as many as sixty and seven pies, and it's it's very golden age of comics in the in in the, the way it's written. It's definitely worth looking up. We have the boys now. Uh, they're trying to decide, you know, who's going to keep the comic for now, and Martin's coming up with a good system there. How about? This guys, Bart can have it Mondays and Thursdays, Millhouse will get it Tuesdays and Fridays, and yours truly will take it Wednesdays and Saturdays. Perfect. Wait a minute. What about Sunday? Yeah, what about Sunday? Well, Sunday possession will be determined by a random number generator. I will take the digits one through three, Millhouse will have four through six, and Bart will have seven through nine. Perfect. Wait a minute. What about zero? Yeah, what about zero? As we get deeper into this and as they all start to lose their minds a bit over the comic. Who are you relating to out of these three then? Milhouse, uh, Bart or Martin? It's hard to say, isn't it? Because they're all coming at it from such different angles. I mean, Milhouse is there. He didn't want the comic in the first place. He's committed to it. Mm. Um, you know, he's he's definitely... He immediately gets pulled in, though. I mean, he's kind of the... He's, he's one of nature's followers, I think, is Milhouse. He gets pulled in yeah. and he's completely suckered in. Um Martin, you get the feeling, and this is the point where Martin was kind of set up as kind of a foil to Bart in the earlier things, where he was the there was a whole episode where they had the rivalry for class president, for example, 
And oh, so yeah. Martin is like the prim and proper, you know. But he's definitely a bit more sneaky here. Like the, um, they have this whole thing about, you know, we'll do this thing, we'll do alternate Sundays. And then, well, anyway, as today is whatever it is, that yeah, means it's mine. And, and then... And yeah, and then still Bart is very much the the protagonist. All he wants is he wants his comic. But I mean, hey, they're in his treehouse. You know, he's convinced them to come back to his house to to do this, so he's getting something out of it. Um, now I remember mentioning this to you uh, before. Um, if you could stick him on a was it D and D alignment scale where it's neutral, chaotic, and <laughs> um, where are you placing these three boys? I think. Martin probably comes across as like lawful evil in that he he likes the you know there's oh, there's malice in what he's doing but there is a system behind it maybe I think that's maybe the way he's being portrayed here um I think Millhouse has to be like true neutral he will he will go whichever way the yeah. wind is blowing um and I don't know is Bart maybe chaotic good like he's, he's you know he's generally a good guy but rules are not a thing that really apply to him whilst you know it starts to devolve on that even though you know the numbers and the day system's not going to work there um they all agree if the comic book's staying there then so are all of we there and it all gets a bit um it all gets a bit demonic there it all gets a bit savage you know Bart can't yeah. trust them anymore and they end up divulging into a fight and um I believe this is something you really enjoyed as well. You just get to see the candle flicker and slowly, you know, lose its shape. And you know, as the night goes by, it gets rainier and rainier. Then there's a storm there. It's just great escalation, James. It is. And, and, and the camera angles, I mean, camera, you know, it, it's not really a camera, but it, it's, yeah. this is so cinematic. This, this whole, this whole act it is shot in a way that is very reminiscent of old cinema. I did, I did a year's a year of a film degree. I, I know some stuff, and like the use of um, unconventional camera angles to portray like a descent into madness or uh, conflict is it's a really classic thing. And you see it here, where you're suddenly getting loads of shots from up above, or the camera pulling out, or it's it's quite. Um, it's not naturalistic anymore you know we're not just watching the characters the camera is taking an active role in telling the story that leads into like one of my favorite scenes in the entire thing when it's the slow pan across the three of them with uh, the microwave side to the next what do you mean the last one alive and then years from now yeah sure you did don't push him! I knew it. You're both against me. Well, nobody makes a sap out of Bartholomew J. Simpson. Quit it! You quit it! Look, you quit it! I thought you boys might like some milk and microwave some more. <laughs> Thank you, Mrs. Simpson. Thanks, Mom. Sweet dreams, boys! Which it, it's such a terrible thing. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had s'mores. I've got a, we've got a friend from America who, whenever there's a barbecue, she 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 makes s'mores. And they they are a thing that are they are solely designed for toasting on a on a campfire. That oh, is the only perfect. way they should be eaten. Microwave s'mores is just <laughs> the worst idea ever. It's just I mean I can't imagine that you know because it's marshmallow and chocolate and a biscuit. That's not going to go well in a in a microwave, is it? Well, um, funny you should say that when. I went to America uh, the first time, around about my 10th birthday and that, when we were in yeah. Walmart or that, and we were picking up, say, snacks, and they had Simpsons branded s'mores little bites. Amazing. And it was just chocolate and marshmallow in this sort of you know, small biscuit. Like, um, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think, like a small, um, you know, like cinnamon grain or whatever. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, I mean, they're lovely. I mean, they're probably all artificial tasting, but ten-year-old me <laughs> wouldn't tell them. Yeah, absolutely. It was magic. Were they were they microwavable? That's the real question. Could you microwave? They were them? not. I think. Yeah, all the chemicals were leaked out there, and <laughs> yeah. the mask would have slipped. I've got to say though, one thing I, I will definitely give uh, Marge some serious props for is climbing a ladder to a treehouse while carrying a tray of milk and cookies or whatever it is, milk and s'mores. That's incredibly impressive work. Oh because yeah, that does not look like a, a you know an easy climb in, at, at the best of times. Martin, um, you know, you just wanted to go to the bathroom there, but you know Bart's paranoid as ever. I mean, great light in there with the torch and that, and they end up tying tying him yeah. up, and Milhouse agrees, and um. I don't know, a line that got me, it's, as much as it is very mean, but it just shows where Bart's head at, you know, Bart, do you usually do this with all your guests? Quite piggy, we'll stick an apple in your mouth. <laughs> Absolutely. It's just typical, yeah, it's, it's horrific. you know, boys' um, stuff. That, I mean, I've definitely dealt with this, and a few of my friends there, well, you will just sort of turn on each other. Yeah. And I mean, and it's quite serious. Like, you know, Bart's holding a catapult on him, you know, with mm. probably a rock in it. I mean, that that could do some serious damage at the range he's he's looking at there. You know, he he literally has like an offensive weapon. This has got very intense, very serious, very quickly. Well, we mean and... he even grabs a brick that's you know holding yeah, down the yeah. corner. It's about to get to manslaughter levels. Yeah, and, and, and that I've got to say that is fan- again fantastic use of staging. You know, there's there's a prop. The brick, the brick, is a prop that is introduced earlier on you know when they're weighing down the comic and then it comes into it and of course that then becomes a thing which leads to the big um climax of the, of the thing so well written so so you know theatrically cinematically well put together I, that's what I, I miss in the more recent simpsons is you didn't ha- you don't have this level of structure i think and yeah. um even let's say where i'm getting to now on disney plus like season 11 it just feels so much more like a load of Load, load of stuff thrown in a bag and jumbled around. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, it could be that I'm just so out of touch, but, but no, it's the children who are wrong. That's what matters <laughs> here. <laughs> That's it. Any excuse Thank to you. get that in. Um, I will get another great line from Martin as well. I mean, Milhouse has even seen that. No, Bart, you're crazy, you know. I'm going to tell him, hey, Martin. Tell him what we do with squealers. I don't know. Is it worse than what you do with people that have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, Bart is is off the rails here. He has completely mm. gone loopy. He, um, it's like full on paranoid delusion. I, I always got the feeling this felt like it was directly taken from like a Hitchcock film or something, like this descent into madness over like some shared object. I've never actually found out if it is directly based off something, but it feels like it. You know, that psychological ramping up where people are literally willing to kill each other. Ah, well, um, hold your horses here, James, because yeah. it absolutely is, um, particularly when he's holding Milhouse after they get into a scrap and Milhouse, yeah. it seems, is going to fall from his death. That is directly referencing a um, a particular Hitchcock film. I'll get in. See? Saboteur. Saboteur. Here we go. There we go. I, I, all I could, it felt very Hitchcockian, you know? Um what I love is the fact that this is all happening. They're, they're like having their their battle to the death, rolling around at each other's throats, and then uh, you know Marge is like, "Hey Homer, it's really coming down out there. Can you check on the boys?" And he looks up, sees them in a flash of lightning, literally strangling each other, and he's like, "Yeah, they're fine." Homer, it's really coming down. Could you check on the boys? They're fine. Now, does James Hewitt approach uh, take this approach to fatherhood? <laughs> I mean. 
you know, you can't watch them all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to think though that if if Lily was having a, a battle to death with one of her friends in the garden, I might notice. But um, but who can say really? Um, fun fact, of course, that is uh, Homer sitting in the little known uh, room in the Simpsons household that is so rarely used in the show. Like there's like a little little back room that you only very rarely see in episodes. Yeah, and the ever changing landscape of the house. Yeah, and um, I I seem to recall some uh, once someone uh, it was in a comic or something that they'd drawn like a floor plan of the Simpsons house, and I was like, "What the hell is that room there? You never see that." <laughs> and it it appears in like a handful of episodes, and I think they've just completely ignored it now. They got rid of it completely. Now, was a father yourself there? I mean, is, would Bart be all right in going for the comic and? Let it millhouse drop with it, you know, being soggy mud. I mean, I can't really tell how high up they are. I'd want to say at least six foot and plus. I mean, the way I see it, kids bounce. You know, Um, (laughs) (laughs) they they heal quickly. You know, Um, (laughs) no, I, I, I think. I think Bart made the right choice there. I, th- I think letting your best friend fall to potentially a broken bone or something, that wouldn't be very nice, would it? Let's face it. So, um, yeah, I, I feel that the, the the correct answer would be to go for the human life, not the valuable comic. Even Martin <laughs> spells out, you know, uh, could be saving the comic. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need this now. It's so very on the nose, you know. It's, uh, it's the unnecessary comment that doesn't need to be said. What I like is that like Bart gets Milhouse in and what I like is he he does take a moment he's genuinely relieved that his friend is safe yeah, it and it's that moment of relief that lets the comic get away like he could have quickly pulled him in and then made a, made a jump for it but no he makes sure Milhouse is okay first because that's because Bart's the good guy here you know whatever he is he's still the good guy um and of course, then the the comic uh, for anyone who was thinking it might be all right and they, it might be a bit a bit soggy, I think gets struck by lightning. Yes, and then ripped up in... by Santa's little helper. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, when the coffin there. Yeah, um, and then I've, I've got to say as well. Speaking earlier on of uh, different outfits the characters wear, <gasps> Marge, I, think, yes, I, I love that one. The big what? Mar- yeah, yeah, exactly. It's fantastic. Um, yeah, you, you've got the the. the the kids in their pajamas. You've got Marge's incredible raincoat <laughs> with the the huge hood that, that that you know covers all of her hair. Does she get these things custom made? Who can say? Well, she's so unassuming as well. Oh, you can play your little tie-up game inside. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're just such clueless parents. They, they they genuinely don't seem to care. I don't think they've ever really got Bart. I think they're, they're probably okay with that. It comes to you know the early morning of the next day, and you know the same. Oh, it's no use, fellows, to know the comic books return to the earth from whence it came. And for those who aren't in the know as much as animation, not that I'm an expert, but I know that um, with zoom-in shots in animation and rotating shots, it's a lot of effort and it can be very yeah. difficult. So props to all the crew and production animation from this. Just a little tilt from Martin's sort of three-quarter profile to straight on there. Yeah, and and then and then the shot immediately after that, where it sort of pulls back up into the tree, and you've got branches sliding out of the way. It's like I say, it's a beautifully shot episode. It is. I, I, who who directed it? I don't know if it's actually someone who was a regular director or something, but it's certainly it's very impressive. Wes Archer, that was it. Wes Archer, it yes. Who I believe now is on staff with Rick and Morty. 
this is how we end the episode. So, um, with all my guests here, um, please, James, if you, could, if you could give us your final thoughts and what you thought overall, and then your own unique rating out of five. So let's say it's um, four out of five, you know, lost Vulcan ears or such. So please, <laughs> let's have your final thoughts. Yeah, cool. Um, I I really enjoyed going back to this episode. When, when I first rewatched this um, for, for the first time we recorded this episode, I um, I hadn't watched it in quite a long time, and I thought, oh, it's very early on. Was it really any good back then? And yeah, absolutely, it is. There's a few points where it's um, the pacing isn't quite on, like it's it's quite wordy. There's a, a lot more talking, I think, a lot more, um, especially in Act One. There's a lot lot more static shots on people just talking. Yeah. But then it really redeems itself in that final act. It's such a well shot, well put together episode, and um, yeah, I, I I think it's it's probably a standout amongst the early, the early seasons so um i would give this um let me think okay i will give this uh four bullet ridden corpses out of five can't you live there alone with vulture <laughs> he was a saint now for myself um i'd say i'm surprised at how well this holds up and how strong this is overall i mean Hell, Mrs. Glick's my favourite part of the episode and the scenes of him doing his hard toil for low pay there. You get to see Bart as a kid and, I mean, not for yourself, James, but I've definitely been there and had friends go, you know, a bit mental over certain things and having, you know... you know, you, I, mean, I mean, it happens to... I know it happened with a lot of my friend group. You get the toxicity of, you know, young boys saying, oh, that's not mine, I'm going to tell and getting into fights, so I really resonate with that. Um, again, the comic book theme's strong there, as I'm not a massive fan, but it's, yeah, but it's just the imagery in that all throughout. I mean, I mean the production and animation, what more can we say about it as well? I don't know what's missing for it to be absolutely perfect, but I feel something just is. So with that being said, I'll say this is um, four out of five um, mutton chop yazzes. Okay, let's have a pull on that random episode generator and see what comes out next. Get ready to scam rubes, rig games, and fail to bribe because it's a ring toss game. That's right, we're going to season 9 with Bart Carney. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a 5 star written review on iTunes. Check us out on Facebook, Uncle Most Family Feedback Podcast, and the same on Twitter as well, at TylerTMC. Or search Uncle Mo's Family Feedback Podcast. Take care, folks. Come to Uncle Mo's for family fun. It's good, 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 good. Mmm, sounds good.